episode 85, Rehab-Focused Chiropractic Professor. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trostclair, and today we're Dr. Todd Riddle's perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards-nominated host, Dr. Justin Trostclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back to the show. So excited to have you back. If it's your first time, welcome. And if you're a long-time listener, I sure hope you're getting some good value out of this and are able to implement it in your office. You know, that's our goal. Uh, Today's guest is Dr. Todd Riddle. He is a chiropractor. He is heavily involved in factor seminars as well as teaching orthopedics, rehab, soft tissue, things like that in Texas Chiropractic College. His whole life he has been in support, strength training, and injury recovery and prevention and all those types of things. He's well-rounded, and we're going to go into ways we handle modality that the evidence doesn't really show that it works, but in clinic we see that it works. So how do you reconcile those two things? We're also going to discuss what is factor. It's a system. It's not really like a technique per se. It's more like a system. It's like they pull from a bunch of different sources to make this technique. And they have a unique way of approach cover that I think you're going to enjoy. We're going to talk about two main pieces of advice he would give students. Uh, why is he in favor of a residency program? We even tackle new graduate job and pay and not feel so taken advantage of. And at the end of the episode, after the ads, we're going to discuss cold laser. It's a conversation that we had sort of outside of the interview. And after we talked about it, we're like, hey, let's put it in the interview. So it's going to be after the ads. So stay tuned. You'll get it. Show notes, a doctorsperspective.net slash 85. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China, the great state of Texas, Houston. Today on the show, we have a guy that loves ortho and loves physical therapy and rehab so much that he teaches two classes, uh, three or four classes to be quite honest. And as a weekend gig, he goes around the country and teaches factor courses. Uh, the guy's been in practice for umpteen years in South Carolina, and then now he's in Texas. So I just want to welcome to the show, Dr. Todd Riddle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited because, well, you work at my old alumni, OTCC, Texas Chiropractic. Hopefully they don't mind yeah. them saying yeah. that. And and. <laughs> Just from the classes, ortho, rehab, uh, soft tissue work. I mean, my goodness, like all day, every day, you are teaching, I think, the cutting edge of chiropractic right now. It's a, yeah, it's a rigorous curriculum. And uh, yeah, cutting edge, we, we try to. We try to make it as cutting edge as possible. Um, we take a lot of pride in trying to make everything nearly as evidence-based as we can. But uh, yeah, I live it every day, all day. Let's step back just for a little bit. You don't have to go like on the 30-minute the, the How'd you become a chiropractor and, and how'd you get involved with so much <laughs> rehab? But give us the, the short version of, you know, you could be a straight chiropractor, you could do a lot of rehab. What, what made you lean towards that? See, that's, that's actually really funny because they're, they're intertwined, but I'll, I'll try to give you the brief version. Uh, it actually started with a, an old football injury. Uh, I had hurt my neck to the extent that I was unable to move my left arm in abduction or flex my elbow for the better part of a year. It was a pretty bad brachial plexus injury. And initially, I wanted to go into physical therapy because it took about a year to get uh, me out of that and spent, as you can imagine, a lot of time with athletic trainers and physical therapists. Um, once that arm problem was uh, was gone, I still had a lot of neck pain as a residual, and I actually lived with that all through my collegiate career and had the fortunate opportunity to play a little bit of arena football after uh, college was done, and they had a chiropractor on the team that after about three visits, was able to take care of what was left of that neck pain. So 
Um, at that time, I'd been kind of living in the human performance world and still playing athletics competitively and thought, well, man, that's the coolest thing, you know, that you can do that in three visits. I've been dealing with this for 10 years and in three visits, he's got this thing knocked out. So um, I uh, ended up, oddly enough, you know, at uh, Sherman College where I was trained in the straight philosophy and um, found out when I got lately, I, I had made a, a rough decision. It was a rough life choice, but I, I stuck it out because I still had a business in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing sports performance. So I stuck it out there. I already had a background. That's what I graduated college with. So I stuck it out. To their credit, I did get a lot of really great hands and skills as an adjuster. So uh, if you can flush away all of the other rhetoric, I still got a pretty quality chiropractic education. So uh, that kind of balanced out the rehab side of things. So I think so. That's, that's the, the thick and the thin of it. Uh, that's the thick and the thin of it is um, my career has highly revolving around sports and athletics and rehab. And that little stopover, I guess, might have been a, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Still waiting to see how that works. <laughs> so I think that's kind of a cool thing because I know when I was in my first couple of years out of school, you know, I felt like TCC didn't give enough philosophy. And, you, you know, you start, right. why isn't practice where it's not going as good? Maybe, you know, these straights are like killing it, quote, online. So you're just like, man, maybe I don't have enough chiropractic philosophy. Maybe I just I don't know what's, you know, how powerful the adjustment truly uh-huh. is. And and uh, so you got to go finding that. And then you got to, yeah. you know, so it's kind of nice to have it to start with. And because you, you can always learn rehab, a little bit more rehab and all that. It's, it's interesting to see. And my own progression, like where I went, where I was going, and then and coming full circle, but never really going fully straight, straight. Right. But anyway. Well, and it's, it's, it is interesting because I, I do a lot of reflecting on it, as a matter of fact, because uh, there is there's some reconciling to be done there coming from a rehab background at a very philosophically oriented school and trying to figure out what my identity is as a healthcare practitioner. And I will say that there is value in having been educated in that philosophy because it does make my understanding of what we do as a profession more well-rounded. Now, that does not necessarily make me agree with the way that uh, a lot of practitioners uh, conduct their business or the way that they um, purvey their health care or what they say they do with it. <clears throat> that doesn't begrudge the fact that philosophy is still kind of valuable from a from a knowledge standpoint it's 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 very interesting i'm still working on that i agree it's the sometimes it's like the confidence of knowing what you're doing is going to make a difference and then yeah with the rehab you know with the clinical experience later on you're like okay before i just had to have faith but now i got experience and i know it actually you know what worked what doesn't work and how to move on it's an interesting component. You you have to know who you are early on in your career. You have to have something to stand on. And a lot of Kairos stand on their philosophy because they don't have a great deal of experience. And as you accumulate that experience, you get to make critical thinking and educated decisions based upon your experience to determine whether or not the way that you have been practicing is the way that you should continue to do it. So there needs to be a balance too far one way or the other. Uh, that's when we start to let bias and sneak in and we can't look at ourselves objectively and say, you know, am I doing what's best for the patient or am I only serving myself? When you find that something that you're working with for the last several years has just been, you know, it's been working. You get the results that you're looking for yeah. beyond adjustments. Like, you know, I'm talking, 
using um, soft tissue tools or uh, kinesiology tape right. or something. And then you got right. people poo-pooing it like it doesn't do anything. And you're like, yeah, but it's kind of working in my clinic. People are, you know, they had knee pain or they had shin splints that taped them. And they're like, yeah, I got, I could actually run and it didn't hurt. And like, well, the research isn't showing that, but it sure seems to be doing that in clinical practice. How do you reconcile that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I had a little bit of a problem with that um, years ago. I've kind of since become comfortable with that. There are three legs to that evidence-based practice model. You got what's best for the patient, what the research says, and what you know clinically. Clearly, we want to try to keep those legs as even as possible, but you and I both know that that's really difficult to do, especially with what we, we do. So I still try to stick to that model to some regard, but there are going to be plenty of things that I use that I know work that the research just hasn't caught up with. I mean, you know, if, if we had waited around to prove that the chiropractic adjustment or manipulation or whatever people are calling it these days, uh, if we'd waited around for the research to validate, we would be a dead profession. You know, we would have stopped doing it 50 or 60 or 70 years ago. So I don't, I don't believe that we need to have everything entirely sorted out by evidence. But I think at the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, whatever decisions we do make does need to be in the best interest of the patient. So whether there's research to support it or whether it's your experience to support it, those two have to be congruent enough to say that this is what's best for the patient. Or I'm not just doing it because I want to keep trying it and, and saying that it works. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. We were both at Forward KC a few weeks ago. And yeah. one of the things I was at the fact, one of the factor uh, presentations, if you will, and they used, I didn't even know what it was called. Y'all call it floss. I called it extremely <laughs> thick TheraBand that you wrap so tight on your arm that you uh, lose blood flow. So I never knew what you guys, whatever it was called, but I've been doing it for like, what is it, four years? Well, I kind of haven't been doing it recently, but I did it for like a year back in 2014 or 2015. And um, mm -hmm. just this guy that I worked with, uh, Bill, Dude's amazing. I was like, you got all these little gadgets and gadgets and all these different things. He had uh, his own um, jigsaw that, you know, that they're selling these days and everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, the last year or so I see things popping out. So how, how does that stuff work? Like how is wrapping up a joint so tight that you lose your blood flow, maybe making them do some motion uh, and all that? Is there any idea how that works yet? Because it surely isn't research based yet. There is no, yeah, so thank you. I was just going to say that's a perfect example of um, clinical experience versus the research, but still uh, is good for a lot of patients. Yeah, so the, the jury is still a little bit out about how that works. Does it work by ischemic compression? Does it work by uh, major affrontation through all that, that compression? What we do know, and we have to extrapolate a little bit, is blood flow research uh, does seem to have quite a significant uh, effect for um, the rehab population through the compression and the reduction of blood flow, seeing an increase in, in growth hormone and, and such. So I, I can only extrapolate that, that is one of the mechanisms behind it, just that restriction of blood flow and then the reinfusion uh, has a very significant uh, healing effect. Uh, I've seen tremendous improvements in pain, subject to pain, uh, as well as range of motion. That's interesting. So is that sort of the same theory behind like chirotherapy, C-Y-R-O? Oh, cryotherapy. Um, 
I don't know. I can't speak a great deal about cryotherapy from the, the, the sub-zero chambers. I can only speak to the cryotherapy that I, that I teach in the, the rehab programs, which is the ice. So okay. uh, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment on that because I just don't know enough about it. But uh, as far as the mechanisms go, I, I don't know how they could be, um, obviously, because we're – we're wrapping a, as you said, a, a rubber band very tightly around a joint, and, and we are creating ischemic compression of sort. But I think there's so much more to that um, compression, yeah. the affectation, and even the soft tissue effect that we're getting uh, by having joint move through the range of motion. Wasn't it? You would know. Um, what's it called? It's not McKinsey Mulligan or something like that, where you would mm-hmm. put a lot of pressure on the shoulder, and then you have them go through the range of motion. Of motion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a couple of different ways they do it. I think it, it's, a, it's the same thing. Except I don't want to have to use my whole and you don't thumbs. Use, so with Mulligan, they use straps for assisted moving. They are contraction of joints or uh, create glide or rotation in a joint by using a strap and then um, obviously the practitioner's weight. Uh, straps don't have to be used, but the difference between the two would be that we're using bands that are wrapped around the joint and they're simply using straps or belts to assist with, with glide. It's more of a positional thing. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's where my brain went. I was, when you're trying to, when I was trying to wrap my head around, what is it that we're doing? I was just kind of like, well, that, that's the closest thing I can think of is just, sure. you know, sometimes people try to invent new things. Right. <laughs> and, and actually what's interesting about that comment is we could probably use that I'm thinking about. We, we do use, the, the factor flaw in mulligan-like situations to help promote glide and rotation. So what we're trying to do with factor is take some of the things that people already have and allow them to plug it into the system that, that Dr. Tom Hyde and Dr. Greg Dorr created many years ago. So that's a example of that, being able to take two things and plug them in together and possibly get a better result. Just if you can, give mm-hmm. us like a two minute. What is factor? Because I think the guy that was teaching at, at Forward was like, people say, "Oh, I just did factor." And you're like, you didn't do factor. Factor is like a um, a flow yeah. uh, versus you know Mulligan or McKinsey or anything. It's not like that. It's taking everything and doing it in a systemized fashion. That's exactly it. yeah. That was that was what I was the point I was trying to make was uh, if you're using factor at a verb that you are you've you're not understanding exactly what factor is. Uh, we've gotten used to saying things like, uh, I grasped somebody, I ART'd somebody. Um, and those, right. that would imply that you use the technique on someone. Uh, what factor is, well, let me, let me briefly back up here a second. So, uh, I, I mentioned Dr. Hyde and Dr. Dore a moment ago. They were both grasped and instructors working together and found, uh, with implementation that when you added movement, to soft tissue manipulation with instruments that they saw improved scale outcomes. They saw better uh, movement. So they kind of just started playing around with it. And long story short, we, we now have factor because of their, their tinkering with, with uh, soft tissue manipulation instruments. So uh, that's what factor is. The factor is, is a concept now where, you find positions of provocation. So if a patient has to turn their head to the right, well, as long as it's safe for them to do that, you're going to treat them as they go through that motion. 
So there are five concepts we use that are a progression. You start a patient from the static position of obligation and work them all the way through to function and proprioception uh, in order to feel good about basically returning them back to activity. So factor is a systemic progression where you can use all of the soft tissue knowledge that you have already accumulated and plug that into the system. And if you have not accumulated much soft tissue knowledge, we do incorporate several different techniques into it as an example of how we can use it. So staying true to our roots, we still do use instrumentation, but I, I would I would be I don't think I could call it a true instrumentation course uh, because we have incorporated many other techniques such as the floss. Uh, we've now also incorporated myofascial decompression with cups. So we have taping. So there's a lot of different things that we have added into it. But then the premise is you're using all of these things within our system. So if you were to say that you factored somebody, my implication would be that you took them from uh, a state of dysfunction and disrepair, and you systematically progressed them all the way to the point where you felt comfortable that they were ready to go back out and resume activity. So that's <laughs> in a nutshell. That's, that's a pretty big definition compared to what I would, what I think most people <laughs> use it as a verb. That's cool. So yeah. you could take. So if you didn't go and learn or didn't care in school, you're like, look, just teach me what I need to know there, Doctor Riddle. Yep. And uh, let me pass my boards, but I don't give two craps about what you're talking about. Then. A few years later, you're like, huh, maybe this dude was actually onto something. Let me go take this factor seminar. You may find that you actually need to go and take a hot grit seminar or a kinesio taping seminar or a rock tape, blah, 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 and learn how to do that better so that you can really do the factor system appropriately. Oh, I mean, yes. So we've got two schools of thought on that. We actually do have a lot of people that uh, prefer to take a, an instrument-assisted course that may cover it in a much greater detail. Than we do, but I think we do cover it in a pretty fair degree of detail. Um, so we do have people that want to go do that first and then come to ours. We also have people that just want to come and get the experience with all of those things because they either they have a higher tactile aptitude or they just feel like they can handle taking it all in at once. And uh, yeah. <clears throat> they do fine with it. So. Either way, we just want you in class. So if you feel like you want to go take something else first to really have a better mastery of it, by all means. And then we'll be happy to be there to um, not to not to knock anybody, but to help kind of clean up whatever um, whatever things they were still yeah. struggling with from a, a technique standpoint. And you know, that's not to say I'm an expert in, in <clears throat> these techniques. I've been doing it for long enough that I have a a higher degree of attitude than average uh, in many of them and would feel comfortable making recommendations about how they can change things. So um, you can do it either way. It's like a so survey class. It, it, it kind of is, but we still, you know, in 12 hours, we jam pack in a lot of stuff. We get in uh, assessments. We get in use of instruments, cups, floss, tape, hands-on. So you, you do need to come in with at least an open mind about how to do rehabilitation, like if you're brand new to healthcare and don't have a clue, if, uh, for instance, if you're brand new to chiropractic school, you're in your first, first or second trimester, you're probably going to have a much harder time with it than, say, somebody that is in their sixth, seventh, or beyond, obviously, trimester. And we're looking at it from a school standpoint. Now, if 
uh, you used the example a minute ago, if you made it all the way through chiropractic school uh, and only your exposure to it was enough to get you through the physiotherapy board, then you're probably, it's going to move pretty fast for you. That is absolutely not to say that they won't do well in it. It'll just move fast and they'll have to really pay attention because it's a hands-on course. I speak on the, yeah. the science for about the first hour, and then after that, it's it's full-on hands-on. So uh, we get all all varying degrees of skill level in there from the absolute novice to the seasoned professional. And I I, I know for a fact, because we, we survey everyone, everybody walks away with having learned something. So we, we think we have a great product, and we'll go to all students back behind the door. For sure. You know, and, and maybe it's just because it's been a long time since I've – you know, been in the midst of having to like learn something completely new. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A lot of these things, taping, instrument assisted, cupping, let's just mm -hmm. be honest to me, they're not that like, they don't need 12 to 24 hours of, of continuing education. Like you need to have 12 because they want you to get your certifications for your continuing ed full in one week and I get it. But it doesn't take 12 hours sometimes to learn this stuff. Like if you learn in the basics, in my opinion, like, Right. I don't know. Is that true? I mean, well, well, I would probably disagree with that. Uh, there's a lot of medical legal stuff, especially here in the state, you have to be worried about. But if you're going to do something on somebody, you should be able to sufficiently show that you have been trained in it at a level that makes it safe for you to use it. So if you just, you know, for instance, go take a, you know, grab a roll of tape and just start using it on people and they get a shock response from it because you didn't know to warn them of that, you, you could be liable for that. Or uh, you use instruments on somebody and you create a rash or even worse because you didn't know what you were doing. I've seen people that, students usually, that have done work on other students. Uh, I, I've only seen this through pictures. Um, but a really great example in a class a couple of weeks ago, one of the students in the class showed me uh, a picture of her own leg of another student that was doing work on her, and she was bruised for the better part of three months. And that's not therapeutic. That's <gasps> damage. And you can imagine that if that were to happen to a, a live patient that was paying you, there probably would be some ramifications of that. So, to, you know, the Good degree point. to which you need to study it, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know that there's any grace for that, but... I will certainly say more is better than little because we have a responsibility to our patients to know exactly how this works, at least have a basic idea about the physiological response they're going to have and say that it's going to be safe for us to use it on them. So I, you know, I, I don't know that I can entirely okay. agree that it, it's, you don't need 12 hours. You know, are there some things? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are if we went down the list, but um, it all comes under responsibility. Yeah, because like here, sometimes the acupuncture people will learn how to, quote, adjust people. If you just, you know, if you turn a neck and it makes a noise and you consider that adjusting or whatever. Right. And they can learn it and they do learn it different ways. They, they don't have like a score uh, officially, but a lot of them don't do it. But the point is, yes, they can make the low back move. Yes, they can. Okay, it feels great. They, they still can get me to go. It's, it's great. I'm, it's better than nothing. But when they get the complicated case, when they get the red flags... Will they catch it? Right. Will they know what to do with a tough case? And some, you know, and that's when it comes like, okay, that's why you went to the chiropractic school. You could train anybody really to use an activator type of thing, but to be proficient and to catch the doctory part of it, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what makes 
us different than the technician. Your technicians know how to do it, but your professionals, your doctors, if you will, they have a higher level of responsibility because they've been trained to catch things that would make that technique dangerous to them. So that's, that's the big difference. Yes, that's exactly right. Technician. Good call. That's the, that's the word that I was fumbling with on yeah. that one. <laughs> so on the show, we like to talk about being that you are in the midst of mm-hmm. the, the new generation of chiropractors. If you could give them one advice or even two, what could you give them to either take clinic, you know, when you're in the outpatient clinic, take that more seriously or uh, what you can do to be more successful that first year out? Because I can remember, like, I don't know if it was just the intending that I had or, you know, you got that attitude where you're just like, you know how it is. And yeah. um, you don't maximize the knowledge that you get from the, the different attendings sometimes. Yes, yes. It's funny. Um, chiropractic school is... I feel like to some sometimes uh, it's a tiny fish bowl with a lot of fish in there competing for time, competing for energy, competing for space. Um, and sometimes uh, the, the fish get irritated with each other. But um, And that would include the people that work there. So it's its own little microcosm. And I think if people could realize that there's a bigger picture there, for, I mean, there's there's – a lot of learning that needs to go on. There's a significant social aspect of it. Again, it all comes down to balance. So I have quite a bit of advice I would give to to a, a student or a younger practitioner. But the two most pivotal pieces, I think, is as you're going through chiropractic school, don't take anything for granted. Okay, Pay attention to everything that you're learning there. And when you get out and you have enough experience to say, I don't need this information anymore, then you can jettison it. You can get rid of it. But while you're in school, and I, I have this, this regret myself that in my undergraduate and even for my classes in chiropractic school, I wish I would have paid better attention because now I sometimes find myself going back and having to search that information out again even though I was taught it earlier on. So I would definitely say nothing for granted, absorb it all. Their education is actually in their hands. You know, for instance, I'm a professor at the school. My job is to deliver information. Their job is to absorb it and expand upon it. You know, I have a fixed amount of time and a fixed amount of information that I can deliver in that amount of time without it becoming overwhelming. But, Believe it or not, education is the responsibility of the students. I'm there to purvey it. It's their job to I agree. to learn and, and kind of stimulate that process. And then the second thing that I would tell them is keep it simple. You know, learn while you're in chiropractic school. And if you have the time and the bandwidth to take outside courses, by all means do it, you know. Clearly, I operate in the, the continuing education world, so I'm certainly not going to tell people that want to consume our products to, to not do that. But at the same time, it's competing for mental bandwidth with things that you need to be learning from a chiropractic standpoint, then I can't say that that's necessarily the most valuable use of your time. You know, right now, we've got a lot of students that are coming out very, very technique-rich, but have you know, a, a, a very time knowing when to use those techniques. So they're they're kind of poor and technique rich. They're just accumulating all these certifications but really don't know where to go with it. It's it's a 
it's a rare student that can take in all of that information, assimilate it, and know how to apply it. I would say on the in the greater or the grand scheme of things, that many of the students are just trying to keep their head above water because it's like drinking from a, high, a fire hose. So much information coming at yeah. you. So pay attention to what you're learning in school and keep your time there simple, as simple as possible. Well, you got a good point. And the nice thing too is a lot of the seminars, like especially like yours, they're usually a discounted price for a student, yeah. and that will help you have a system because that was one of the biggest questions I always was getting from students was how do you know what to do exactly. with X, Y, Z presentation? And mm-hmm. so that you know you already answered it, so that's that's kind of cool there. And and then, and I remember I think I remember being you know in the outpatient clinic and learning. There's so much going on. You're still taking classes. You've got this paperwork you have to have, and you're you know all these in these little check boxes that you're trying to do and you're waiting on some, there's all these little things and it kind of distracts you from sometimes like the, not necessarily the learning that you could do, but just it kind of complicates the, the the treatment plans and the protocols and the things that you could be better simulating because you're just being pulled in so many directions. You're just like, I just got to get my qualifications so I can finish and then I'll learn it. I guess pull it all together later. I don't know. Well, and like I said, that's not a great way to, that's a great, well, but it's a good summation of what we've been talking about is focus and learn what you need to learn in chiropractic school. You know, knowing how to treat something doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to diagnose it. So terrible at diagnosis because you've been spending so much time learning all of these techniques. Those techniques are literally, they're useless to you. It's like having a car with no gas. So if you don't, if you're not a well-rounded practitioner, uh, at least a proficiently well-rounded practitioner, by the time you reach your student clinicals, you're going to have a hard time with that assimilation. You're going to have a hard time putting your treatment plans together because you don't know where to start. And believe it or not, and a lot of students don't realize this until they dig it out, you do learn those things. You know, school to school, there's going to be some difference, but I know because I'm in it, you do learn how to diagnose those things. You do learn how to treat those things now it's just a matter of, uh, so this poor trusting your training, okay? Not being afraid to, um, not being afraid to make a decision, even though there's significant lack of experience behind that decision, trusting what you've been taught and the experience of the people that were teaching you to do it. Yeah, because not every uh, case of sciatica is back pain from That's a disc exactly bulge. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, you missed the diabetic. You missed the kidney stone. You missed a lot of things there, buddy. <laughs> and I'm a I'm a big advocate of, um, of residencies, post post graduate residencies. That's when you really get to hone in those skills. You know, you've graduated as a chiro, but you still there's there's a ton of learning to still be done. And in a in a real world environment such as a residency where you get to see patients, but you're still under the tutelage of a director that can help you. Um, kind of hone your skills even further, I think is so valuable. It's, I, I wish we could pull that together collectively as a profession. We have a couple of schools that are doing it here, and I would, I, and I get exposure to those students. I would say by far those students are much more prepared to deliver a very high-quality chiropractic experience than a, a good majority of the students that are coming out without those residencies. But that, that's the purpose of that program, to to their skills and to take their level of proficiency, you know, from, you know, average to expert. Isn't that technically how some of the uh, associate positions, you know, we always complain that associates don't get paid very much because they're, they're rookies. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what I mean? but, but there's a certain point to me. OK, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but let's just suffice to say we could. We absolutely could. I think there's some doctors who justify paying less 
because they don't know what they're doing. And I'm going to teach you everything that you didn't learn in school. I would, I would kind of agree with that if it were in more of an educational and more of an educational light. Now, there are a lot of good doctors out there that do provide an associateship that would look a lot like a residency and their, 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 mm-hmm. their, um, associates leave better for it. But there are a lot of docs out there that are just taking and abusing new students because they want cheap, uh, or underexperienced labor because they know that they can, uh, charge them less and they work them into the ground and burn them out. You know, there's a high turnover rate for new graduates coming out because they just, that's not what they expected. They become jaded and bitter about the profession. You know, that term, it's a cliche, and I'm not entirely fond of it, but, you know, chiropractors eat young. And I think we could solve a lot of that by uh, having these residency programs or at least making sure that the students, when they leave, have a, enough of a business acumen to be able to read through a contract and know that there's significant advantage on both sides. The students, the newly graduated student will get what they want out of it. And um, providing that, that, that employment also gets out of it what they want to. It's very, very clearly laid out in a contract. Too often students don't know what they're reading or they're just so excited to get out and start working that they don't think for the long run. They're not building their, their career with the end in mind. They're starting right there. Like, oh, I'm broke. I'm going to start paying bills. I'll just figure it out. I'll go work three jobs if I have to. I just want to get out and start working. And, and to me, that's just that's not a smart way to approach your your profession. And I would say, you know, this this podcast is for you know beyond chiropractors. And I don't know this for a fact, but I would think even in physical therapy, when you're first out, you may get paid better, but you might be doing the the part of the job that like is really physically taxing. So after eight hours, you're just like, oh, I need to go sit in an ice bath because I'm so <laughs> sore. Like, you're probably not getting the cush, uh, cush patients that day, you know, that first I'm year, I would think. I'm really certain that, that a lot of what we've just talked about goes in on, goes in many professions. You know, the, the rookie, you know, they're, they're carrying the brunt of the, the work. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. It's trial by fire. You gain a lot of experience by being thrown in to do the work, but I do believe in fair compensation. You know, you should be paid for what you achieve. You should be paid for, what you're bringing to the table. I don't believe that students coming out have this idea that they should be paid based upon their merit, but also their achievements. And there's a lot of students coming out now thinking that they'll make six figures in an office, uh, just as a blob, you know, as a paycheck when there's a strength against the, the practice in that office isn't making six figures. You know, if we expand this outside of chiropractic, you've got people leaving school with business degrees that think that they're going to make, you know, high 90s or six figures, and the person they're going to go work for may not even make that themselves. So there needs to be some realistic expectations from our our students as they leave school as well. Well, speaking of expectations, I want to respect your time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears on you. <laughs> Thank you. You've got a bajillion kids. No, just kidding. I think like five, right? I did pretty. We have four. Yeah, we have four kids. Okay, so you got four kids. Your wife, who we hope to have on the podcast soon, is yeah. just as busy as you are in a different way with marketing. That's true. And you are on. You're you're going on the weekends. I I saw the schedule of of seminars. I don't know how often you go, but anyway, vacation. Y'all are both busy people. <laughs> Can you ever take we, off? 
Yeah, we do make a point of that. Uh, right. She is extremely busy. Her last event was helping with um, pulling forward Casey. That's on a regular basis with other chiropractic organizations and um, individual practitioners. So she's extremely busy with that. Between teaching for Factor, both here and uh, internationally, and then also teaching at the school and also having the kids. Yeah, of course, we have to build them the vacation. So it's it's a difficult thing to do sometimes because my school still doesn't overlap with the school schedule of our, our children. So um, we live in a great place where there's a lot of things to go to. There's mountains, there's woods, there's the beach. So even if it's just a little three-day kind of staycation, if you will, we build in that time. But we always try to we always try to have a, at least one longer vacation, a week or so, uh, where we can turn everything off and just go recharge. It's so important, too. You get burned out if you don't. Do you happen to have any hobbies or volunteering or anything to sort of <laughs> reset? Yeah. So, yeah. As a matter of fact, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, one of my, my funnest hobbies right now is, um, now that we live in Texas, uh, cooking meats. So I've, I've kind of taken that on as a hobby. So when I'm home, uh, I have a hobby that my entire family and our friends can enjoy as well. So I would definitely not say that I'm competition ready, but it's it's good enough to make bellies happy in the house. So I, I, I really enjoy that. We've planted a small garden behind the house to kind of supplement the things that go into the, the cooking that we use. So that's, that's kind of a hobby right now, and it's something that my kids can participate in. I've, I've tried to really aim my hobbies at life skills for my kids, such as cooking, uh, so that when they're old enough to start doing those things, they're still quite young, that they'll have a skill that will serve them for the rest of their life. And, and I absolutely encourage people to do the same because we have a lot of fun doing those things together. Bravo. Now, what are we talking yeah, about? Thanks. Jerky, barbecue, smoking? Oh, yeah. So we, we smoke meats. We, uh, so I have, a, I have a grill and I have a, a, a smoke pit. So we do a little bit of both. When we're in a bit of a time crunch, we've got time to go low and slow. We'll throw it on the smoker. So we'll do pork butts. We'll do briskets, birds, fish, you know, whatever, whatever is, uh, Either because I like to fish, whatever I can catch, or uh, I'm not quite into hunting yet. Somebody to take me out and show me the ropes, but that's uh, whatever we can get a good price on at the meat market up the road here. That's awesome. I, I yeah. know in uh, in China where I'm at, slow, slow and smoke. They what? No, everything, <laughs> everything yeah, yeah, yeah. is well done. It is. I miss <laughs> the barbecue. I tell you. Yeah. Meat it's, off it's the bone. No. Yeah. <laughs> You're chewing that bone, boy. Um, See, you're you're married, obviously. What what is one or two things that you do that makes you keep the love alive and feel connected? So we have uh, have date nights. So my wife and I will hire a sitter, and we've got a great little wine bar up the road that we can go to. Uh, They have a a delicious um, peanut butter chocolate stout. So that's one of the things that – we look forward to going to do is enjoying a beverage together. And we still talk a lot of business uh, being self-employed. Um, we still have, we, we still have a lot going on even on those date nights. So we'll talk a little bit of business, but then we'll choose a time when we just don't talk any business anymore. And we, we focus on each other. And it, it's very hard when you are self-employed or have a schedule to build 
isolated time like that. So you have to, even if it's five minutes at the end of the night, turning off the devices and sitting with each other and just talking, you know, having a, uh, a, a nightcap before you go to bed or a cup of tea, whatever. Um, having that, that time right at the end of the night so that you can kind of go into really being ready to sleep uh, and, and sleep as well as you can peacefully uh, at the end of the night. So we, we try to build those little times in. If it's in the car, you know, turning off the radio and just talking. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. I don't by any means want to make it sound easy, but finding even that five minutes can be beneficial for helping to recharge the batteries. Yeah. Uh, and you got to choose the right partner. And that's so hard to do these days. But we have such uh, an intimate knowledge of each other. You know, I travel so much that she knows that wherever I'm at, I'm representing our family to the highest degree. And that wherever she's at, she's doing the same thing. So we, we have an incredible amount of trust. And that makes our relationship exceptionally solid, too. Is, you know, I've, I have found the right person for me. And, and she, has, uh, she had the same. And having that foundation does make it easier to live such a thousand-mile-an-hour um, life. Well, that's huge because you know we don't think about that, but there's a lot of um, extramarital business trips, yeah, of course, <laughs> that occur. And we, I don't, I don't think about that because it's not my style. It's just the same as you. But it happens right. enough to where you're like, oh yeah, that is something we should be concerned about, and we have these conversations to make sure that it's you know not a problem. You can't, that's you huge. can't even let the opportunity for thoughts of that to sneak in there. Yeah, you know, like. You, you, and, and I don't, you know, I don't even know of a situation that I could use in a, as an example, but it is, it's to leave yourself open to somebody to think that could be going on could be very detrimental. And just it's, it, that, then you're like the house of cards because our life is so intertwined professionally and personally that if something were to affect us personally, it would affect, affect us professionally and vice versa. So we do everything we can to, um, reassure each other uh, where our intentions are and who we're representing. And uh, at the end of the day, we're trying to, to make our family the strongest it can be, um, despite of everything else that we have going on. And let's be, let's face it too. When you're in front of a bunch of people, there's a lot of eyes that could find you somewhere else and you didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Ooh, wee. Yep. That's exactly right. Nobody. This day well, and age, everybody's got a camera phone. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. Anyway, that's true. Last question for you. Sure. If, if you happen to have that you just secretly love or one that you really want to share with people, favorite books, podcasts, even a phone app? Oh, that's a great question. Ooh, that is a great question. Because uh, those are the things that I retreat to uh, when, when I get a little bit of personal time to myself. So uh, my secrets, my, my vice is a good glass of bourbon and uh, one of a variety of books. I kind of read across the board. Uh, right now, I'm finishing up um, The Gift of Injury by Stu and uh, Ryan Carroll, but I, I love business books as well. So I've been kind of chipping away at Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, and then uh, I'm going to start working through some other kind of outer-type fringe stuff I've been picking up off podcasts. The podcast really the way that I just the majority of information I can. I love Tim Ferriss' podcast, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, when I'm looking for something more uh, clinically oriented, I've been enjoying the British Journal of Sports Medicine's podcast. They've got a great one. Um, 
Uh, I, I could I could name half a dozen or so other ones that I really enjoy, but I spend so much time on airplanes and in cars. That's the easiest way for me to get information is, is by listening to it. Um, Absolutely. But uh, yeah, so. you know those two those two you mentioned, Tim and Joe. Yeah. That was the, the my thought pattern whenever I was deciding: Do I want a short episode per week? Or yeah. Do I want to kind of go more long? You know, we've been talking for for a little while now. I'm not going three mm-hmm. hours, uh, but I, you got to have a certain level of um, expertise to be able to get that much time from somebody, and that is definitely not yes, me. You do. So, <laughs> so, but, but you know, like there's so much you can get from somebody that it, it takes longer than you know 20 minutes. But you know what I appreciate about what I appreciate about you is that you did it. You took the step and actually did it. Because so many people go, "Oh, I would love to have a podcast," and that's all they ever do is they talk and they talk and they talk. But you've taken the step, you've invested, and I'm I'm certain that the resources have the right technology to to do it. So kudos to you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> My wife the other day was, "Hey, uh, how how long are you going to be doing this podcast thing?" <laughs> I was like, "I don't know." I'm still enjoying it. <laughs> well, that's what Tim Ferriss said when he first got into podcasting. He said, "I'll do a couple if I'm still enjoying it. I'll, I'll keep going." And obviously, it has now spun into this wildly popular uh, format. But I think the best way to do it: dip your toe into the water, and if you still feel comfortable, keep going. So, keep up yeah. the great work. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Todd, thank you so much for for being on the show. Where can people find out more information about you and stay connected? So I'm on all of the uh, the social medias, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Dr. Todd Riddle. Uh, you can find me on there. Uh, you can check us out at sports-start.com. There's a list of the classes there that I participate, participate in with. Say that one again. Dynamic. Uh, it's sports-seminars.com. Oh, thanks. Sports-seminars. And uh, we're... We post my class schedule, teaching with Factor, and also with Dynamic Tape. So uh, those are the places to pick me up on on the internet, and I'm pretty active on there. So I would love to have people jump on and say hi. All right. If anybody was listening to this episode, whatever your profession is, I know you could have gotten a lot. You've probably related a lot to to, to what he had to say. So check him out on social media. Send him a friend request. That'd be great. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Did you know? I am offering a Cupping 101 online class. You know, I've been in China for a while. I've got a class set up with some TCM docs who do cupping. We'll show you the glass kind and the suction kind. You can find more information at a doctorsperspective.net slash cupping. Right now we have a pre-sale price, so you're going to save a good chunk of cash by signing up early. Just put your email. You'll get notified when the class goes live. Also, as always, the No Needle Acupuncture book. You can get four chapters, anxiety, low back, insomnia, and headaches. It's got pictures, how to find the points, and of course, all with no needles. Just go to doctorsperspective.net slash NA protocol, as in needleless acupuncture. We had great results the other day from a lady who uh, couldn't do a lunge because her knee pain. Now, knee pain is not an issue. So excited to hear that. Also, the first book, Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health. A lot of people are looking for a magic bullet. This ain't it. This is saying, hey, look, if you can do small things daily, you'll see results. And I'll I'll give you the blueprints that I use to create an exercise routine, cardio routine, get my nutrition in order, and actually get your finances in order too because that's a big stress in life. And, of course, it talks a little bit about chiropractic. So um, I hope you check that out. 
on the uh, website under the resources tab. Uh, these are my affiliate links that helps out support the show. Uh, Blueberry Hosting, uh, Set for Set, they've got the power bands, and, uh, and they're really, really resistant. Really good to stretch those joints. Mentor Box, you can get subscription to watch the author talk about the book so that you don't have to spend the time reading it. Uh, it also comes with workbooks and things like that. It's really quite cool. Primal Health and Nutrition, you can save 10% by going through my link and using the code PrimalDoc. Uh, it's bone broth. Adheres to the autoimmune protocols and specific carbohydrate diet, gluten-free, non-GMO, no sugar, dairy-free, all those types of cool things, as well as click funnels. If you f sign up through that or pick up a book from him through my links, it helps out a little bit. And then, of course, everybody's favorite, Amazon. You can sign up for different things like Prime, Fresh, or Music through our links. And, of course, any of the show notes, when you have books mentioned, uh, if you follow the link, through my site that'll help out as well well that is it go on ahead and leave us a five-star review thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week hey real, real quick while i got you i'm just curious i love code laser uh tq solo the terraquant the uh, multi-radiance mm -hmm. and i don't know mm -hmm. why it seems like everybody's like get the thor get the k get the and uh i'm just convinced that <laughs> Multi-Radiance just has one of the best actual laser wavelengths possible out there with a product that uh, helps you find it. And I don't know why it's not kicking off. I saw them at the NADA. That's why I was curious. The, well, the, the tough thing with lasers, a lot of infighting right now between those companies about who puts out the best stuff. And it comes down to research. Are they self-funding their own research, which obviously lends to an exceptional amount of bias? Yeah. Or is somebody else independently researching their stuff? And the the only company that keeps coming up on my radar is the one that has, I think they have over six or 700 independently funded studies is like here at Class 4 Laser. So, which one was you it? Know, I know there are a lot of other products. It's uh, called Light Cure. Light Cure. Light Cure. Yeah. Okay. And um, I've had some experience with their laser, and, and I did like it. Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 I, I personally think it probably has a lot of value. Uh, I haven't used uh, an Urconia one much, and I haven't really used much with the multi radiance. I have a little bit, but can't See, speak to you know the quality of their stuff. And Arconia just seems to me like one of those ones where I think it's they're really good at marketing is how I feel, but I could be wrong. I, I wouldn't disagree with you on that. I, I feel that way about several of the, the laser products that are out there. So okay. it's it's tough and it's expensive too. It's not like you can just go buy one and say, well, I'm not going to use it anymore. You know, yeah, you can't just go good, get new ones. For a good class four laser, you're going to pay 20000 US. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's what it is. They, yeah. yeah, you're right my opinion and I'm not talking about them so it doesn't really matter to me <laughs> <laughs> we just went hashtag behind the curtain and this episode has come to an end I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends sharing on social media and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest a sincere thank you in advance you've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair giving you a doctor's perspective.